Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This comes from sales leadership. You know, the people who run sales organizations being focused on results. And since everyone's kind of taking the same approach and doing the same process, the results are all similar. We'll celebrate that so-and-so had X close rate or did X number of deals. If you were to take that all away, right? Just get rid of it all. Get rid of all the results. How many sales did we make? And instead we focused on how many leads entered our system that didn't get followed up on, that didn't have the right process followed, et cetera. It becomes like, you know, if you've read Moneyball and you look at, you know, you know, the, the whole the whole idea of getting on base. Right? When we when we look at baseball, we stopped focusing on batting average and started looking at more important measures of a player's effectiveness. So when I look at a salesperson's effectiveness, one of the last things I'm looking at is how many deals they made. That's that's the result. How many leads are in your sales funnel that don't have a follow-up plan? If that number is big, you're not doing a good job. And no matter how many deals you sold, you could be selling a lot more. And the resources that are going to supporting that salesperson are likely wasted. Hello and welcome to a special sales episode of Inside Out with my guest, Mike Terry. As I mentioned in part one of my interview with Mike, he was one of my first mentors and I owe so much of my early success in sales to him. Mike's approach to sales has helped to make his teams reach incredible levels of success and I'm so excited to share his ideas and insights in this episode. On the show, we learn what Mike means when he says most salespeople have way too many call me maybes. How the concepts from Moneyball could be applied to sales so that we start looking at metrics that make a bigger impact. And why having a follow-up plan is not just important, it's often the most critical indicator he looks at to determine the effectiveness of his salespeople. We also discuss the idea of being casually confident, how sales can be compared to dating, and why most CRMs have completely missed the mark and are designed the wrong way. We also explore why queue building correctly will deliver better pipeline management results, how to leave an effective voicemail, and how to get more decisions, especially no's, that will ultimately result in more sales. Mike also shares a magical question he has all his salespeople ask to ensure they understand why customers aren't moving forward. This one is jam-packed full of tactical tips to help you get more sales 
by blocking out the noise and focusing on what matters most. I love this conversation and I hope you enjoy this special Sales Insights bonus episode of Inside Out. I do want to get into some of your, your sales strategy and some of your pipeline strategy, which I myself have found enormously valuable. And I know for those that are listening that do have a sales-oriented role, which even if it's not a direct sales role, this is still going to be valuable. One of the concepts is this concept called call me maybe. And you and I used to do a training where we would reference this term. Wondered if you could share that story and talk a little bit about what this call me maybe phenomenon is. Yeah. So most companies that have a selling effort, right? A sales organization it's made up of salespeople. What most of those salespeople do and the, the vast majority of their effort goes into going to see a customer or, or interacting with a customer in some way, giving them the information and then leaving. That's not selling, that's quoting, right? So it's like, hey, I just met you and this is crazy, but here's some numbers. So call me maybe. And they've left the entire decision-making process and the urgency of making the decision and all of the next steps to the purchasing party who has, you know, a less, less of a, um, a stake in this decision. The salesperson's job is to get the customer to make a decision. Yes or no. If you have a sales team working for you right now, you've got to ask yourself, are my people going out and giving proposals or are they selling? And, you know, I talked to a friend of mine who works at one of the largest companies in the solar space. It's something that you and I know really well. And he did some analysis and 80% of the customers who were made an offer never received subsequent interaction from their salesperson. Shocking. While it's not shocking, but it, it's shocking. It, and, and it used to be shocking. And now we expect it. A company of that size will spend $10 million a month bringing in new leads. And 80% of the time that all that work goes into bringing a customer into the sales funnel, the salesperson makes them an offer and then moves on to someone else. I would say that 90% of the people who sign up for solar through Homelink had been made a similar offer, sometimes with the exact same product previously. And the reason that they didn't take advantage of it wasn't that it wasn't a good offer. It wasn't that it wasn't a benefit. The number one reason that people who are offered this product don't take advantage of it is because the salesperson just never came back to them. They made the proposal. They left. Now, here we have this person whose sole ability to feed their families to get people to sign that solar contract. And we're thinking that the person who never even considered doing solar a week ago is going to be the driving force behind getting that contract signed. If someone's not going to do it to be able to, you know, to afford to feed their family, why would somebody do it to get a slightly lower rate on their electricity or reduce their carbon offset or whatever? So call me maybe, right? We used to play the music during the training and everything like that. This comes from sales leadership, you know, the people who run sales organizations being focused on results. 
And since everyone's kind of taking the same approach and doing the same process, the results are all similar. We'll celebrate that so-and-so had X close rate or did X number of deals. If you were to take that all away, right? Just get rid of it all. Get rid of all the results. How many sales did we make? And instead we focused on how many leads entered our system that didn't get followed up on, that didn't have the right process followed, et cetera. It becomes like, you know, if you've read Moneyball and you look at, you know, you know, the, the whole, the whole idea of getting on base, right? When we, when we look at baseball, we stopped focusing on batting average and started looking at more important measures of a player's effectiveness. So when I look at a salesperson's effectiveness, one of the last things I'm looking at is how many deals they made. That's, that's the result. How many leads are in your sales funnel that don't have a follow-up planned? If that number is big, you're not doing a good job. And no matter how many deals you sold, you could be selling a lot more. And the resources that are going to supporting that salesperson are likely wasted. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a shift in thinking and, and looking at the metrics in a new way, whether that be on-base percentage as opposed to average or slugging percentage. And obviously taking that analogy from Moneyball and then applying it into a sales role, I think is a great idea. And so don't just accept the standard, hey, this is what your close rate is, because that may be only one factor, not to say to, you want to completely ignore it, but you've just brought up a great point that there's often other ways to examine the numbers to figure out, is this person really as effective as we thought they would be? One of the insights that you shared with me, which I absolutely love, and it's something I think about all the time, is this notion of a salesperson being casually confident. Share what that means for those that that have maybe not heard those two words sandwiched together. Like, What is casual confidence and why is it so important? So I ask salespeople, so say that we have a salesperson who makes five sales a month or five sales a month. That's like one a week on average, right? Or, the, or thereabout. And we say, hey, if we polled all of your customers, if we went to all your customers and said, hey, listen, how many sales a month do you think that Billy makes? Knowing in our mind, they make five. The customer should say, I don't know, 60. The reason the customer would say 60 is because when Billy, the salesperson came in, it didn't feel like Billy needed to make the sale more than the customer needed to buy the product. It didn't feel like Billy needed to put a lot of effort into getting the deal done because of course the product is great. Salespeople who are in a like very short selling cycle, like single call closes, whether that's selling cars or selling a home improvement, the idea that they would go out and celebrate the sale like a single sale says that they don't really believe in their product. Maybe they don't believe in their own potential. And that's going to show with the customer. If you polled customers that I go and sit with and ask them how much I really cared if they bought or didn't buy, they would say it didn't appear that I seemed terribly interested in whether they bought or not. Of course I am. It's what I do for a living. I need people to sign up to run a business, but casual confidence comes off not as I don't care, but it comes off as I don't need this. And the reason I don't need this is because everyone's going to say yes, because what I'm offering you drives a lot of value. So a very helpful exercise with salespeople is to ask them how many sales their customers think they make 
versus the sales they actually make. And the customer should always think they sell more than they do. How do they do it? How, how do they get that casual confidence? What are some techniques or ways of thinking that can help somebody put themselves in a state where they are casually confident? Salespeople almost never practice, which is weird. Even major league baseball players, while we're using that, they still practice. They got batting practice for the games. Uh, they spend you know, a couple months in Arizona doing spring training before the season starts. These are the best people in the world at what they do, and they keep practicing. Salespeople kind of feel like once they've made their first couple of sales or once they're performing at an average or slightly above average level, then clearly they don't need practice anymore. The best way to practice is, is in real time with real homeowners. So getting more at bats gets us more confident. It gets us more casual in that environment. A lot of the reason that people lose their casual confidence so they never get it is because they put themselves in enough selling scenarios to survive. If you only need five sales a month to survive and you have a 50% close rate, you'll work hard enough to put yourself into 10 selling scenarios. And that doesn't really get you uh, to the level of consistency where you can really excel. So by putting in the extra uh, lead generation work to put yourself in 20 appointments, you're not going to go from five sales to 10, you're going to go from five to 14 because now you're practicing this more regularly, getting better at as you go. And you're feeling like you need each sale less customer senses that buys more frequently. It's sort of the, a lot of times it helps to use dating analogies. Okay. The person who dates a lot gets to date a lot because they date a lot. The person who never gets to date won't ever get to date because nobody wants to date them. The more you get into the rhythm of things, you relax. You feel casually confident. And that's also, who's your manager, right? I think the number one or number two, the number one thing about whether a sale is going to close, that's going to determine whether it's close, is whether the salesperson believes it's going to sell. The number two thing, the number two thing is whether their sales manager believes that it's going to sell. I'm shocked when something doesn't sell, right? Mike, mathematically, I know that not everything sells, but when someone, when it's a, when it doesn't work out, I'm like, what, how did that be? If someone doesn't close a sale and they're like, yeah, of course it didn't sell. Like no one ever signs up. (laughs) Or if you're a sales manager and send somebody out on an appointment and it doesn't sell and you're not surprised, why are you giving that person leads? Why are you spending money? Why are you paying them? Right? Why are you not surprised when a salesperson doesn't close their fourth deal in a row. Maybe the reason they didn't sell it is because you didn't even believe that they were going to sell it. So much comes down to belief. It's the law of attraction. You're going to attract things into your life if you believe that in fact will happen. And the converse is true. If you believe it won't happen, it will be like a, a magnet kind of the opposite end of a magnet kind of going away from each other. So you know, an exercise that you shared with me, which I love this, is it, it's more of a mental exercise. You wouldn't literally do this, but imagine going into a house and like, what if you were to kick your, your, your feet up and put them on the side of the desk, kind of having that sort of a mindset where you're relaxed, where you're confident, where you have this air about you. And it's not an arrogance or a cockiness. And of course, you would never actually put your feet up on somebody's desk or table like that. It's more of a mental exercise to get into. Maybe you could share a little bit more in that realm if, if, if there's anything that comes to mind because I, I found that valuable. So remember that salespeople, are, are, they're on a path, right? And when we hire them and we train them on how to, how to 
engage the sales process, how to work with a customer. We're really setting them on a path that we're hoping they stay on. So a lot of this comes to sales training when we get people started. If you're a sales trainer, train your salespeople to pitch with their feet up on a desk. It's amazing how much more relaxed someone becomes when they're leaned back in a chair with their feet up. To your point, they're not going to do that with a real customer. But if we teach people the sales process with their feet up on a table, they'll probably deliver it more casually and confidently. Absolutely. So so we, you talked about pipeline management briefly already, but I want to dive a bit deeper in that realm because I do think, one, it's it's a huge pitfall and a huge area of opportunity that every company has, right? There's a reason Salesforce exists, right? There's a reason why people that are successful often are really good at that follow-up and flexing that follow-up muscle. What are some of the best practices or, or keys to being an effective pipeline uh, manager and, and, and recognizing just how important it is to, to follow up on, on people that you've met with? What's amazing is that uh, and it's not a Salesforce thing. It's a, it's a CRM thing. It's a software thing. None of it's built by salespeople, <laughs> right? None of it is. The people who sell Salesforce aren't leveraging Salesforce to sell Salesforce. They, they just aren't. Everything gets put in there because it's required or you can't generate a quote without getting it in there. But the idea of the software is supposed to be to manage the relationship And by manage the relationship, it means make sure that the next step is always happening. When we add somebody to our CRM, one of two things should happen with that lead next. It has a next thing, like a a definite, defined next step at a date and time, or we should delete it from the software. And there's nothing in between. There is nobody's name who I should put into my CRM today and then just not follow up with. And to not have a plan of what to do with them as a salesperson. Now, if we're if we're marketing uh, to a market that's not open yet, we're building a waiting list that's a different kind of thing. But if a customer enters our funnel because we want to sell them, there's got to be a next thing planned. If a customer isn't worth putting on your calendar to do a specific thing with them at a specific time, just get them out of there. Delete it. Close, lost, whatever you call it. Because there is no in-between worth following up on and having that planned and actually doing it and deleting it. This part is missing from CRMs. If you open it up, there's always it opens up on the dashboard. right? The dashboard's always like, how many sales do you have this month? How do you compare it? It looks really cool. It helps non-salespeople buy that software. right? Who's buying the software? Some combination of executive leadership, and strangely, like the IT guy, right? They're in the meeting and Salesforce comes in and pitches the software. And the the people who are making the decision, like, ah, oh, this is great. Our people are going to have graphs and they're going to have charts and they're going to know where they stand. But leadership doesn't know where the customer base stands. If you're running a sales organization today and you don't know what percentage of your funnel doesn't have a follow-up planned, And if you don't know what percentage of planned follow-ups were executed, chances are you're wasting at least 80% of your marketing budget. Just waste. I I, I hate waste, whether it's food waste or water waste or resource waste. And in this case, leads that people have paid for, companies have paid for, and then they're squandered because we we lack the skill or the ability to have consistent follow-up. And so 
to your point, right? There's a lot of fancy options out there. Salesforce being one of many CRMs that exist that help that are geared to help us manage our pipeline. But in all reality, that's just the tool. That's not the human being that is actually doing the follow-up. What are some of the other ways in which you suggest somebody just kick ass when it comes to making sure they do it? I, I know part of it is just doing it, clearly. I know, for example, one area is the voicemail. You've shared with me and then I in turn have shared with countless people through my training efforts how to deliver a great voicemail as a follow-up. A lot of times people are, are, are saying things in the voicemail that are counterproductive. So maybe share what is the normal, more common voicemail that people leave? And then what is the better version of a voicemail that you suggest people leave? Yeah, Bill, you asked two questions that are actually really strongly related. One was, what's the best way to manage our pipeline? Okay. And the other one is about leaving a voicemail. And I'll talk about how these are connected. The best way to manage a funnel or a pipeline is through queue building. Okay. The salesperson needs to be driving forward, not looking behind. So the windshield is, you know, this big and the the rear view mirror is that big. So the way that a funnel management system, CRM, any of that should work, it takes everything and puts it out on the road in front of that salesperson. So when they're driving, they know what they're doing. So when a salesperson comes into work, they should have a series of cues. These are the people who I have a planned follow-up today. These are the people who don't have a plan at all that I need to make a plan for, whether it's calling them today, you know, making an effort against that lead today, or maybe it's just, hey, I'm killing this lead because it's dead and I need to focus on other things. But there isn't anything that should be in between. Part of the reason that salespeople don't do follow-ups is because we don't tend to do things that are ineffective over and over again. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We stop doing it. One of the reasons that doing follow-ups doesn't work is because the people don't answer the phone. So they don't answer the phone. What are we going to do? We're going to leave them a message. And you know every message sort of sounds the same, right? If, if I was going to call my dad and I was going to leave a message, and by the way, this is either a voicemail or it could be a text, okay? Because we're moving more and more to you know, you don't leave a voicemail, but a text is a voicemail in a way. If I was going to, if I didn't reach my dad, I'd say, Hey dad, it's your son. I wanted to talk to you about such and such. Give me a call back. I'll talk to you later. Right. And he might call me back. He might not, but he's my dad. So he probably will. Now, if I call somebody who doesn't know who I am and I leave them a message like, Hey, it's Mike, you know, here's my number. Give me a call back. Talk to you later. Why the fuck are they going to call me? It's not their job to call me. I'm a salesperson. I suck at follow-up, right? Even though I get paid to do it. And here's this person who's not getting paid. It's not their job. No one's loading it in the CRM for them. Yeah, but they'll call me back. Hey, they're not going to call you back. And I love it when they say, I'm just calling. Oh, so so there's nothing worse than hearing a salesperson call. Oh, hey, hey Janet, it's, it's Mike. Yeah, I'm just following up with you. I'm just following up. You may as well say, hey, Janet, I'm wasting your fucking time right now. Uh, because I know you're not busy, <laughs> but my manager says I have to call everybody. Okay. So it's devaluing it, right? If you're abs- just doing anything, it's like, wh- wh- where's the importance? That's right. So there's got to purposeful communication is going to be more effective than just this or just that. So better than calling someone and say, Hey, I'm just following up. Call me back. We need to let that person know that we're calling them, them for a reason 
today for a reason and that we're going to try again at a specific time. That sounds more like, hey, Billy, it's Mike. I'm reaching out to you today because I have important news I need to share with you. I'm going to try you again tomorrow afternoon, say four o'clock. If you want to reach me between now and then, my number is 8675309. Right? So this does a couple of things. It shows them that you're calling for an important reason. Number two, it's kind of a subtle threat. Like you're going to keep hearing from me until we talk. So if I call Billy again tomorrow at four o'clock, as promised, it does two things. Billy looks and goes, oh God, it's that guy again. I knew he was calling. And if you know I'm calling, you're more likely to answer. If you don't answer, I'm going to leave you that message again. But what you're starting to learn is that you're going to have to have that conversation with me and tell me no. And that gets to another hugely important part of sales and sales management, sales leadership is this whole thing of trying to get customers to tell us, yes, it's really not the goal. If the average salesperson could double the number of people who tell them, no, I don't want your product and here's why, they'll quadruple their sales. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You were at a meeting once, right? It was like shortly after you had started building your own team and you and I were doing it. We were Marie Callender's in Sherman Oaks. Mm. And good old days. Yeah, there. I think there were a dozen sales. Living the high there. life at Marie Calendars. Marie Calendars, <laughs> and you know we were eating that pie during the meeting. <laughs> of course, I got in front of the group and I said, "Hey guys, how great is our product? Oh, it's so great!" And I just talked up the product. I said, "Our product's so great. How many of you have had a customer in the last ten days tell you, no, I don't want your product. It sucks.'" Two people raised their hands. Those are the top two guys on the whole sales team. Yeah. So the guys who weren't closing, who weren't selling, they never got no's. The only people who were getting no's were the people who were getting five times as many yeses as anyone else. When we get a no from a customer, it means that A, we did our job. So we took them through the whole process. We forced them to make a decision. The more people who make decisions, the more people say yes. The other thing that we do by getting people to tell us no and why is it makes us better at what we do. So if it turns out that you know if you're selling computers, and 10 people in a row say, no, I don't want to buy your computers because they run on Windows. And you're like, they don't even run on Windows. Clearly, I'm missing something in my sales pitch that's misleading the customer into thinking something that isn't true. When all of your interactions end with a, well, you know, call me, maybe, you know, let me know if you want to buy this thing. And none of them call. You don't know what you missed in your sales process that kept the deal from moving forward. That's a really interesting point you just made. And I want to dive in a bit deeper. I mean, there's a lot of good points, right? So having a queue system, super important, being able to get no's consistently, clearly it's another success factor, which people, some people, you know, have highlighted that as their number one reason for their success is they got really good at, at getting no's. I'll say this tongue in cheek, but leave a threatening voicemail. Uh, not really, but you're leaving the voicemail. And I, I want to talk about the texting piece in a minute. But before we do, I want to talk about that that piece that you just mentioned, which is like, where did we go wrong in the process? If we don't get the no, if we don't understand sort of why the customer isn't proceeding, we're going to have difficulty sharpening up our game and having the self-awareness to understand where we can improve the next time. So how do we do that? How do we unearth the reason, the true reason why somebody isn't proceeding with whatever it is we're selling? Well, you can get naturally really good at it over time, but if somebody's just sort of getting comfortable with this idea, 
of getting no's and finding out why, and they don't really know how to do it. It's as easy as telling the customer, hey, I've, I've marked your file down as a no. I won't be following up with you anymore. You'll be removed from our system. You won't be hearing from me again. There's this little box on my form here that says, why? What should I write down there? And they'll tell you what they didn't like about it, right? So finding out what people don't like about something is really important. Once you get a little more comfortable, you don't have to close the customer's file out to get a why. You can do it through just a little bit of digging. And there's this question that I always encourage salespeople to ask. Every person who's in their funnel, right? If you're selling computers, every lead that you had was somebody who was at least some point interested in buying a computer. They didn't think they were buying a vacuum cleaner and then, hey, surprise, buy this computer. They were in the market for a computer. They're in your funnel. And now it's your job to sell it to them. So we can ask somebody, it it seems like you like the idea of replacing your computer system, but along the way, something kept it from feeling like a great idea. What was it? And they might say, well, it was too expensive or the features weren't there, or I didn't like whatever. It doesn't matter. But if a salesperson looks at their most recent 20 prospects, chances of them knowing the customer's biggest issue or objection to the product for more than four of them, slim to none. Salespeople think that everyone that they've pitched is probably going to sign up. Oh yeah, it, was, it went great. I think they'll do it, but just not right now. Oh, they're going to wait a little while, right? Oh, they're going to do it when their next budgeting cycle comes around. Are they? Yeah. Right. A lot of those people have decided they're not going to do it, but they haven't said so out of politeness. They haven't said so because they like the salesperson. It's uncomfortable to tell each other no. So what we do is we just say, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll do this next year, yada, yada, yada. We got to dig in. Even if someone says, hey, man, I'll buy your product, but it's going to be another couple quarters before I can do it. Well, hey, it seems like you like the idea of X, but something's keeping it from making its way into your budget for this quarter. What is it? Well, and it's either something that is true about your product that you can change, or it's a misconception about your product that you can help avoid through a better sales process in the future. Yeah. And that, that, that question that you just shared is so invaluable. So I, I'm pretty confident that for those listening that, that found some value in it, go back and rewind and listen to it again. Cause this, this will be a game changer type of question. And I, I actually think that your other point is, you know, digging deeper, don't just accept their first response as the response, because chances are there's something underlying that you can dig and get to, because what they're going to tell you is probably the most polite response they can give you. And having the courage, the guts to kind of ask them, like, is that all, or is there anything else or kind of digging deeper so that you can truly find out what their actual reason is. Because often their first reason is is sort of the the facade. Yeah, somebody said that the best question to ask is what else. So when someone starts saying, "Well, I don't like the operating system," okay, the operating system. What else? And when you get to the third, what else? You're probably going to find out what the most important thing is, right? You'll probably find out they're not even the person who's supposed to be making this decision. They're not authorized to do it. They don't have the budget for it. You're supposed to be sitting with someone else. What else will usually get you there? Right? You may think that the customer doesn't see the value in your product. It may be they don't qualify for it. They had a bankruptcy a year ago 
and you're beating your head against the wall trying to get them to buy the features and benefits when they can't buy the thing if they want to. But guess what? It, a lot of people don't want to say, ah, you know, bankruptcy. Mm, yeah. Totally agree. Well, want to circle back on one more thing on, on pipeline before we move on. And that is what you mentioned on the queue system. Give us a little bit more flavor of how to do that the right way, because I could hear in your initial reaction to to the Salesforce, to bringing up Salesforce, I could hear that, you know, hey, it's built and designed by maybe people that aren't as immersed in, in sales. So what should the queue system look like? Kind of break it down as, as clearly and as, yeah, as basic as you can so that the listener can understand like how to operate in a queue system the right way. So I think that tools like Salesforce are really more about project management, right? Than they are about sales because all of these pieces of software really heavily ignore customers who haven't signed up, who aren't a customer yet. It's a customer relationship management software. What about the people who aren't customers yet? So if we had a CRM set up and all of our customers are in there and somebody comes in and sets a bottle of tequila on the delete button and deletes 10% of our customer accounts, the people who are paying us and, and we can never get it back. It's going to be the worst day in that company's history. People are going to get fired. Heads are going to roll. We lost 10% of our customers because somebody hit the button, right? And we deleted them. (laughs) Well, in a business that has, say, a 10% conversion rate from prospect to customer, a lack of follow-up that limits your conversion from being 30% down to 10, you're losing 20% of your customers but there's nothing set up where anyone would even notice that it happened. They just say, well, our conversion is 10%. That's like saying our retention of customers in our software is 90% because 10% get deleted when someone sets a tequila bottle on the delete button. It's ridiculous, but there's no mechanism set up to identify the fact that you lost 10% of your customers before they signed up. So we got to go back and say, Well, if there's no bottle of tequila on a delete button, what is deleting those customers who haven't become customers yet? Well, it's the fact that we have a sales force that presented a a proposal and left. It doesn't happen that easily. It takes follow-ups. Every time I hear a a salesperson go, oh, the best thing happened today. This customer who I met with six months ago called me today out of the blue and said they're ready to move forward. Okay. That means you're terrible. Okay, it's lucky. And guess what? It happens to me still, right? Because we all suck at, at follow-up, right? Even we a, try to get good. Even a blind squirrel gets a nut every now and then. That's right. So every time that happens, every time a customer comes back out of the blue, it means there's 10 other customers that if you called them right now, they go, oh yeah, I always meant to do that. I, I just never got around to it. Okay. So the best salesperson on the planet is almost never going to have the customer just randomly come back out of the blue. That's a sign that your pipeline management sucks, right? It's a sign that it's not good. So how do we measure this stuff, right? We know how to measure to customers who who were customers and aren't anymore. But if we go back and say, historically, over the last six months of people that were prospects, what percentage of them have a follow-up planned in the future versus what percent of them don't have a follow-up planned, but we've never marked down that this customer isn't moving forward and why? Every single customer in that funnel 
either has a future follow-up planned or they've said no and here's why. And if you break that out by salesperson, you'll really understand where your best people are. Sales organizations, they want to give their their best leads to the best salesperson. That sounds like a good idea, but that person probably works less than anyone else. They probably do less follow-up. The closes they get, they're getting because they're getting the best leads. And you're probably losing an amazing amount of opportunity by giving your quote best leads to your to your best salesperson because their fundamentals aren't solid. They don't have follow-ups planned. They're not collecting no's from customers. They're not marking down reasons for why they got no's. You might be better off uh, getting rid of that veteran salesperson or repurposing them and putting somebody who's hungrier and and more willing to follow the process. Interesting. I it's it kind of goes back to that sort of in a weird way that that immigrant who's hungrier, who wants it more, who actually sees the value in making sure that they're doing everything they can to make their business successful versus those that they're taking for granted what they have, whether that be the person who's the top performer or the person who doesn't feel for whatever reason that the the leads are as valuable as they are. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.